Hello there, I'm Nick Brownlee, and welcome to the very first Cumbria Business Podcast. Now, for the last 20 years or so, armed with my trusty journalist's biro and notebook, I've had the chance to sit down with the great and the good of Cumbria's business community, from the big beasts of the boardroom to the one-man bands dreaming of making it big. And in that time, I've seen the county's business landscape change almost beyond recognition. Yes, many of the old guard, names indelibly associated with Cumbria, are still going strong. But in the immortal words of the Scorpions, there's been a real wind of change blowing through the county in the last few years. These days, you can throw a towel over any of our towns and cities and be reasonably certain that underneath you'll find half a dozen startup entrepreneurs and whiz-kid small business owners determined to do their own thing. And where once there were factories and warehouses, now you're more likely to find business hubs and startup incubators. And of course, all this was before the pandemic. For some, COVID-19 has been an unmitigated disaster. For others, an opportunity. For quite a few, it's been both. One thing is for certain, it's forced everybody who runs a business to think again. So what better time to gauge the mood of the people who make Cumbria tick? Each week I'll be joined by two guests who, in their own way, do just that. We'll be discussing the burning business issues of the day, and I'll be finding out at first hand their hopes, their fears, and maybe even a few secrets of their success. So if that sounds good, let's crack on with the Cumbria Business Podcast. And I'm delighted to be joined today by two people who are very much at the forefront of what can be described as the new look Cumbria. Pete Crouch spent 15 years in the corporate IT world before deciding to follow a passion for photography and setting up a business initially focusing on sports and events. In 2013, he acquired marketing and design company Liquid Studios in Carlisle. And last year, Liquid merged with fellow digital marketing agency Color Media to offer a wide range of marketing and advertising services, including web design, on and offline marketing, social media, photography and videography. Did I get that right, Pete? Is that everything? That sounds good, Nick. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks for having us on the show. Yeah, thanks for coming. Um, Now, listen, we often hear of businesses merging and then we read accompanying press releases, which include words such as synergy and partnership. And we see pictures of the two uh, merging bosses shaking hands and smiling. But how does it work in practice? How, how do, do people get on? Is there a mad scramble for desks, uh, fights over the milk in the, in the morning? Uh, it was a fairly easy transition for us, to be honest, Nick. We, um, uh, my, my business partner, Chris, uh, managing director of Colour Media, um, I've known each other for, for a few years. We were at a point where there was a fair bit of overlap in our businesses. And frankly, we were pitching for the same work. So it made kind of perfect sense. There were elements that, that of the Colour Media offering that, that we did very well. And there were some gaps in the liquid portfolio that Colour Media did very well. So it did, it, it's a, a cliche to use that word synergy, but it was a perfect synergy. And the, and the two teams came together uh, very easily. Um, we all moved into one office um, 
We've now split that because we've got this new facility at, at Liquid Studios. Um, but no, it was a, it was an ideal situation, really, where, you know, Cumbria is a, a small place with regards to business. We were talking to the same people and it made sense to bring the two organisations together and, and widen our offerings. So, so how, how, been, how does it work in practice then? Do, do, you, um, do you meet up in the morning and decide who's going to do what? And have you got various teams working on different things? How, how, how does it operate? In I'd, l- I'd love to say we're that well organised, Nick, but um, it's, it's a fair it's a fairly fluid arrangement in that you know there's certain aspects of the business that I look after and there's certain aspects of the business that Chris focuses on the team are very clear on on, on their responsibilities and and that their, their, their skill sets you know come come to play depending on on the job at hand but um, no we try and keep it as informal as, as possible um, we don't have long-winded elaborate management meetings we just have a quick bit of crack and what needs doing and, and get on with it really it's as simple as that that sounds great. Um, also joining me today is Lisa Dykes. Now, Lisa is Managing Director of ICANN Health and Fitness, and that's an award-winning, well, it's not exactly a gym, is it, Lisa? Could, could you explain exactly what ICANN Health and Fitness is? Um, ICANN is a well-being facility, focusing on everything from your health, exercise, eating, nutrition, drinking, and your mental health as well. And we're a community interest company, not-for-profit organisation, so a little bit like a charity. But um, your background is, is in the sort of gym world, isn't it? You, you, when you were a student at, uh, at the University of Cumbria, you were working at Curves? That's right, yeah. My now business partner uh, was the owner of the Curves franchise in Carlisle and Workington. And I was a circuit coach for her. So my background quite a few years ago was just on the ground, working with people, helping them to get fit, stay active and exercise regularly. Now, listen, I think there can be only one topic of discussion to start the Cumbria Business Podcast, uh, because it's the only thing anyone's been talking about since March, unfortunately. So Lisa, Pete, COVID-19, discuss? No, I won't put you on the spot. (laughs) Uh, Lisa, let's start with you. Um, Gyms and health clubs, well, they've been absolutely pummeled by lockdown restrictions. Uh, They shut down in March. They reopened again briefly. Now they're all shut again. I mean, first of all, do you think it's fair that, that your sector has been treated this way? No, I don't, to be perfectly honest. And we have to remember that health and well-being and exercise improves your metabolism and it improves your ability to become immune to diseases. So surely gyms, health centres, well-being facilities have to be open. If you look at the facts and the figures, people are more depressed. The suicide rate has gone up by thousands across the UK. We have to be open. And I hate to say it, but things like pubs, restaurants and bars, and I have friends who are owners of those particular establishments, they don't need to be open. The places that benefit health they should be. But I, I guess the the excuse that people would have for closing them down is that you've got people in a, in a fairly sort of small area who are sweating and, and breathing over each other. Absolutely. And I do 100% appreciate that. We must be vigilant towards the, the disease. We must take our health and safety um, as priority. But there are so many facilities, including ICANN, who have done everything possible to make us COVID secure. 
there's the hand sanitizers, all the machines are equally spaced two meter distance or more away from each other. Class numbers are reduced. Nobody's touching. You know, we're staying away from people as much as we physically can, but still trying to help. So what's the effect been on your business and having things closed down? I mean, presumably when you were open again, you were able to get going only to be shut down again. Massive. It's been a massive uh, negative impact on the business um, from a business point of view but also from a social point of view for our members and from an economic point of view we haven't been able to do any marketing you know because we're like a ping pong ball open shut open shut so you do one social media post or one big advertising campaign and then you just get shut back down again. So that money has been wasted, you know, with the likes of uh, Colour Media, for example. We used to advertise regularly with them to help us with our social media page. We had to stop that because you haven't got people coming in. Also, so many people are exercising at home, which is great, but they're not willing to come back into the gym. So from an economic point of view, it's been really pretty bad and and what sort of support have you been given have you been able to access grants uh, furlough pay that sort of thing yeah there have been quite a lot of uh, numbers of support obviously we received the rates relief grant which was brilliant Uh, I must mention our current members because those who can have continued to pay a membership even though sometimes they can't come in which is a massive strain on their finances but because they believe in the company they want to support the company and want to see it coming back through the end of this some people have maintained their membership which is amazing furlough's been good (laughs) how how many how many staff do you have (laughs) well we actually only have three employed staff but we do work with a with a branch of 14 sessional staff so furlough for us we've managed to put one of our employees on furlough and that was helpful at the time particularly in securing his job role Um, With the sessional staff, you know, we've tried to support them as much as possible. They've gone through the self-employment furlough scheme um, themselves, but it's a challenge for them too. Uh, Pete, um, the pandemic struck with exquisite timing as far as you were concerned. Yeah, indeed. It was just after you'd merged and you you were getting your new property together. Tell us about the the tale of woe. It it couldn't come at a worse time, really, because as you say, we had all the energy of bringing the teams together. We had a load of campaigns planned. A, a lot of the, the customer base between both uh, Liquid Studios and Colour Media was focused around either retail uh, or the hospitality industry, both of which, you know, w- were really badly hit. We had significant campaigns um, with certain retailers that, that just pulled the plug. You know, quite frankly, there's no point in marketing a business when people can't attend, you know. So we suffered from that. We took a, a big hit on on some of the media buying aspect that we had planned for. And as Lisa was saying, you know, we had customers that, quite frankly, you know, couldn't advertise because they couldn't operate their business properly. So, you know, we, we had to try and be as creative as possible. We've got a widespread of, of clients um, and some you know, were able to still promote on the basis that they would reopen at some point and sort of stay in the frame, as it were. Um, But it's difficult to sort of turn it on and off overnight. And, you know, it it, it took a lot of the preparation that we put in place, uh, just pulled the carpet from under us, really. But we've got through it. We've we've survived. Um, We unfortunately did lose one of one of the the team members. Um, But 
you know, with the, the new sort of uh, facility that we've got here and the, the, the sort of investment in time and effort and, and money gone in here, you know, we're very much of the of the view that fortune favours the brave and you, you plough on and we'll get through it and we'll come out the other side. I think, you know, in Cumbria, there's a, there's a sort of loyal aspect to business. Cumbrians like doing business with other Cumbrians. And I think that's one of the things that will get us through this, you know. Um, um, are you, I, I was sort of being a bit facetious earlier on about, uh, you know, scrabbling for desks and things like that. But I mean, presumably you've had to have a number of your staff working from home. Uh, in the first lockdown, that's pretty much what we did. You know, overnight, literally everybody went home. Um, we gradually brought them back in and, and complied, complied with the sort of social distance aspect. The current lockdown that we've just gone into now, again, we're, everyone's gone back at home. So because of the nature of what we do, you know, that can be accommodated. We had to, you know, faff about with phone systems and, and get everyone their, their PCs and their Macs at home. But that's working, you know, and we communicate as best as we can on a daily basis with the team. Um, so we are fully operational in that respect. But at the moment, we've got, a, you know, an empty office office um, and it'll come back into play as soon as the restrictions are released. A lot of people are saying well this is going to be the new normal now that you don't have to come to the office you can just get on Zoom in the morning or yeah. Teams or whatever it might be. It's interesting because it, you're absolutely right and I have heard of a couple of agencies there's one down in Leeds that I was reading about that that similar to us you know I think they had a team of about 20 people and they have taken that decision that they're just not they're going to dispense with their office space they take a load of cost out of their business um, and it's certainly something to consider i think um one of the things that we're keen on and what i know for, from my own perspective when you're in the sort of creative world a lot of what happens is just bouncing ideas around um and with the team that we have you know certainly within uh, within the, the color media office you know i can i can go and sit on the end of someone's desk and just have a five minute crack you know and and the idea of organizing zoom calls or teams meetings takes a little bit more you know formal organization and those sort of off the cuff conversations that you just come instinctively um are a little bit harder and i wonder as well that um obviously uh, you, you said earlier that business is uh, the first thing that goes is the marketing budget when you when you're cutting back but paradoxically i wonder when this is all over uh, businesses are going to have to advertise, aren't they? They're going to have to, you know, come back and bounce back, and they're going to look to the likes of you guys to, to help them out. Well, and what we have seen through through the pandemic is that, um, that because of the nature of what we do, and specifically with things like um, like Google activity, for instance, so Google pay per click activity, um, revenues just fell, literally fell overnight. But those businesses that um, continued. Um, ended up getting a really good deal because the, the way that the sort of um, paid for activity on Google works, it, it is almost like an auction basis and it's based on the sort of competitive nature of what you're doing. So there's a lot of players came out of the market, but those that stayed in, it got a lot more for their spend. Um, so there is there is an upside in that respect. And what it did do, it, it demonstrated that, you know, when it comes to marketing, you should never really turn off the tap. You know, it's very easy. You know, attention spans for people are so short now that if you're not in their face all the time, they very quickly forget who you are. Um, you know, as Lisa was saying before, when you've got a, a loyal customer base that stick with you, you've got to you've got to continue your offering and you've got to be in their face. And I think that that's where a lot of companies have thought, I need to cut every budget and it doesn't always work that way. So. How, have you, how have you got your message to your members, Lisa? I mean, you said that, that there's a fair proportion have stayed on. I mean, have you been sort of emailing them or 
going knocking on the doors how have you been doing it i think in this day and age you have to use everything that's available to you we have a an app where we communicate with people via like a little app message emails actual telephone calls as well you know we have to remember that some people will be at home by themselves so that telephone call just to say okay you know how can i help you is there anything you need that's so important and yeah it takes time it takes a lot of effort from a staff member but that little bit of communication could make somebody's day. And do you think that's going to be um, a model going forward, perhaps? You know, that's something you, you maybe wouldn't have thought about last March, but now do you think, actually, this is not a bad idea? Yeah. We maybe keep it going? There's some great things to come out of lockdown, isn't there, and COVID. I know it's awful across the board, but having that connectivity between people and thinking more widely about the services that you can offer thinking outside the box you know thinking oh what what can i do next what challenge can i overcome and those practices will stay in place forever we've built a whole i can at home platform so that now people can exercise like on youtube basically um so people that can't come in or maybe they can't come in normally because they have childcare issues or they've only got 20 minutes escape from work now they can do it all online. So there are some good things, I think, that have come out of COVID. I, I mean, here's a question for you both. It, it has been suggested that the pandemic has, has kind of served to accelerate the evolutionary process. Um, I mean, in other words, businesses that were going to fail anyway have failed only a lot quicker because of what's what's been happening. Um, and it's it's a case that in the post-COVID world, only the fittest will survive. Is that a, is that a valid argument, do you think? Can you see that happening? Yeah, definitely. We've, we've seen that among our clients where, you know, that there's, there's potentially been, you know, a platform that works, you know, their business model works quite nicely, ticks away quite happily. And, you know, the, as the old saying goes, you, you don't fix what isn't broken. And then something like the, the chaos that the pandemic brings, um, you, you've got to be, you know, quick on your feet and, and and happy to adopt new processes. And those that do, you know, those that have innovated through this uh, pandemic uh, will come out the other side. And as you've said, Nick, you know, there'll be, there'll be those that don't and just kind of almost hope for the best and it's all going to go away. But the... You know, the, the term that keeps getting banded around this new normal that we're going to adopt, which none of us know what's going to be yet. You know, it could be a case that, as you say, there's some fundamental change in, in society and in business and the approach to lots of things that, you know, it is, a, it is almost a case of, you know, you really do need to innovate or, or, or you're going to disappear. And, and, you know, we're trying to do as much as we can, like Lisa is in her business, to, to do that for ourselves, but also to do that for customers. It's an exciting time, I think, actually, because when we come through the other side, who will who will be there? You know, what companies will be there to help us and what ideas will we have created? Interesting stuff, right? The pandemic. We've done the pandemic now. It's all over. <laughs> the vaccine's here. We wish, eh? <laughs> this is the Cumbria Business Podcast. Essential listening, even if you're a text-to-speech computer program like me. Well, there's been no shortage of high-profile high street casualties during the pandemic, although in some cases COVID-19 was the final straw that broke an already creaking camel's back. Uh, They included Edinburgh Woolen Mill, which is owned by Philip Day, a name that up until now you couldn't say without using the prefix Cumbria's richest man. In December, the company announced it was going into administration, owing more than £51 million. The good news is that a deal appears to have been struck to save the business. The buyers are a consortium of international investors who, we are told, will inject fresh funds into the business led by the existing management team. Lisa, EWM has been rescued for now. 
but is it just a matter of time for the traditional high street as we know it, do you think? I think so. Um, we see shops closing left, right and centre. If you go into Carlisle City Centre at the moment, how many shops are just closed? You know, boards across the door. Um, and for small independent businesses... I just think there's no hope. The, the cost of those rental units in the city centre are extortionate. And if you're just a small little business setting up by yourself and you want to get the best trade possible that comes from the city centre, what is there? Especially when we're competing with the likes of Amazon and eBay. Do you think, the, have, day, do you think the days of the, uh, sort of the big department stores have gone now? I think so. I really do. I mean, we've lost Debenhams now, haven't we? I think John Lewis is maybe still going, <laughs> probably due to the fact that it's so popular in London. Um, but uh, yeah, I think now that you can, in one click, get everything you need online. Is that how, you do, is that how you do the majority of your shopping, clothes shopping, for example? I have to say it is. Yeah. Um, you know, I was sitting in the car park waiting to come into this uh, recording today, ordered something off Amazon, didn't even need to put a password in. How easy is that? Um, but I have to say it upsets me. You know, I'm a great believer in the high street. I love, obviously, pre-COVID, going down the high street, having a little bit of a shop, meeting up with my friends, having a coffee. Again, that social interaction. And that will be lost. I think there's an opportunity to change the high street and make it more appealing to the smaller independents. You know, because we all would... I think there's a general feeling that, you know, with everything that's going on, not just locally, but globally, you know, we've got... You know, I was hoping we'd get through with this podcast without using the Brexit word, but hey, we're here now. Um, you know, it, it, there's opportunity all over that, you know, there's, there's, there's chaos going on in the US at the moment. And I think, generally speaking, most people would like to buy, you know, from a smaller producer or, 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 you know, a smaller business that's a bit more local. And I think there's a definite blend with the ability for the smaller operator to have a physical premises, but also offer an online, you know, for those that, that, that you know, want to go a little bit further afield. Um, so I don't think, you know, that the high street, I don't think it's dead. I think it's just going to morph into something new and we might see less Debenhams and Primarchs and these types of people. But if the councils get their head around it, you know, we, we've during the pandemic, you know, businesses qualified for, for rate relief. You know, if the councils made that almost like a permanent thing where, you know, small independent businesses, you actually don't pay business rates. And, and they, you know, we, we can look at alternative ways of generating revenue for councils that bring people into the city um, to spend. I wonder if things have changed, though, um, even more than that. I mean, I, I'm still of the mind that if I order something online and it doesn't fit, it's my fault. I've got to live with it. I've got to take it to the tailor and get my trousers fixed. I, you know, I shouldn't think I'm still a 28 waist. <laughs> my daughter, on the other hand, who is uh, 15, orders stuff all the time, opens it, barely puts it on, knows it isn't right, sends it straight back. Yeah. That's the mentality. It's, it's kind of bang, bang, bang. She, I don't think she's been in a, into a shop for about two years. She goes into town to go to Nando's and go for a cup of coffee. And I think, you know, the, the, the bigger players are, are gearing up for that. And I think, you know, the, there are examples, you know, Next have been doing it for years. You know, they, they were probably uh, the first to really embrace the idea of, you know, place your order online, you'll get it tomorrow. And if you want to order three and send two of them back, that's fine. We'll come and pick it up. And you think, you know, there's an environment, environmental aspect to that that isn't great. But, you know, from a business perspective, if you've got got you know the amazon model of of warehouses and teams of logistics people instead of high street 
uh, you know, high cost retail outlets, it's probably more cost effective to go and pick two items up. Um, at least you're, you know, you are getting that one sale than it is, you know, having a whole host of, of, of stores around the country. And I think that's where, you know, um, the, the change for, for, for retail business is going to be. You mentioned John Lewis, Lisa, and last time I was in John Lewis, I was going for a cup of coffee in Cafe Nero at the bottom. I decided I needed to pop to the loo. The loo's on the top floor, so you actually get an opportunity to wander through John Lewis, which is something I would never normally do. It's like a ghost town, and this was at a, you know on a Saturday, Saturday morning, and I thought this this cannot work. Surely the writing was on the wall long before COVID. Yeah, yeah, I think it was, and I think uh, just like we were talking about before, change is happening, and we have to be adaptable to change as business owners, as shoppers, as everything, you know, and unlike perhaps. Now I'm 32, so I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm qualified to say this or not, but I'm going to, <laughs> you know, I grew up listening to my elders and doing what my elders did, what my dad did, what my granddad did, what my grand did, that kind of thing, going to the shops that they thought was accessible to go to. Whereas actually now as a business owner, and we have to listen to our youngsters what a shift that is you know because that's those are the people that are going to be buying from us in the future those are the people that we need to please and if they've moved their life online or they've moved their life to convenient shopping i just pop into to the next store pick up my order if i don't want to get it delivered to home We've got to listen to them. There's no point listening to our elders anymore. Sorry, Dad. Listen well, I think to this. The classic <laughs> example was Philip Green, wasn't it? Because he he notoriously didn't know how a computer worked. He didn't. I don't yep. think he had a mobile phone, and people were pleading with him, "Go online, go online." He said, "No, nah, no, nah, we don't do that." And sure enough, bang, he's gone. That's right. Um, and, you know, if guys that size can go, well, who knows? Anyway, the high street, we shall see what it looks like after COVID. Uh, it's not looking too bright. The Cumbria Business Podcast. It's the business in Cumbria. Well, the EWM rescue package, which also includes lifelines for the Pondon Homes and Bon Marche retail chains, will hopefully save around 2,500 jobs. But what about EWM's Cumbrian creditors, who are still out of pocket to the tune of nearly £100,000? These include a Carlisle-based management software company owed £55,000 and a taxi driver who's been waiting for an outstanding bill of £500 to be paid since last March. Uh, Pete, the details of the rescue package aren't clear, but it's usually the case that when a big company goes into administration, the smallest creditors can go whistle, basically. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, you know, you, you, you sort of, as a, as a company director, there's an element of, of protection that comes along with that. But inevitably, there's, there's casualties. Um, and you know, over my years in business, unfortunately, it has happened to me a couple of times where we, we've had a customer, one or two customers that have gone down for whatever reason. And there's not very much you can do about it. Um, and it's it's hard because you've, you've put the effort in. A, you know, there's an element of cost associated with, with winning a customer in the first place place you know that that original sort of cost of sale and and that's easily underestimated i think a lot of people you know don't quite get how difficult it is to win new customers in the first place and then you know you deliver a service or you you supply your product or whatever it is you're doing and then you know for whatever reason that customer disappears and they can't pay their bills um you're kind of stuffed and for the smaller business that you know as you said your example there with the taxi driver um that's going to sting, you know, for him, that, that's going to sting a bit and there's, there's not much recourse. So, yeah, it's, um, 
it's an unfortunate one. It does. It, when it's happened to me in the past, it leaves you feeling: Is there anything else I could have done? Should I? Should I have seen it coming? Should I have changed process? I think you know. Over years in business, it, it keeps you a little bit more on your toes and you probably go through an element of, of, of due diligence a little bit more when taking on new customers because it always comes with risk. Um, but it is, it, it, you know, it's a sad thing to see a business disappear and especially a large scale one, you know, when people's livelihoods are gone, you know, their jobs are gone and, and in, a, in a marketplace where, you know, jumping into a new job is, is not an easy thing to do. It's uh, it's just a, it's a bit of a tragic situation. Lisa, have you ever been in the situation where you've woken up one morning to discover that you owed a lot of money and it, you're not likely to get it back? Uh, yeah, sort of in a previous lifetime and in a, when, I, when I wasn't the managing director of uh, ICANN, um, I worked for a company and they had... Uh, we would sell all these different uh, products and things. And one time they just didn't get paid. And we're talking about £12,000 for one particular thing. And people work for that money. You know, when you're a small company, every penny counts. And, you know, I can't remember how much I was I was due for my uh, involvement in that work, but it was certainly enough to pay my mortgage um, for that month. And you just think, what am I, what am I going to do now? But there's not, I mean, there's also, as well as the financial impact, there must be a hell of an emotional toll as well. Um, you know, it, it, how, how did you deal with that? I think what Pete was saying is, what, what could I have done? Have I missed something? Did I not do my job right? And it puts a massive pressure on your mind on your on your sense of worth uh, on on what you kind of believe in and it you start to question should i even be doing this it's really hard i think when you know when you when you suffer a loss in business you've you've got the you know the difficulty of that loss but then you've got to get your head around so you know if, if i've if if i've done a you know, some activity and, and I've lost a hundred quid or I've lost 10 grand or a million, it, you know, the amount, um, I'm not saying it's irrelevant, but you've then got to get your head into the place. What now do I have to do to get that back? You know, so the, the job has become all of a sudden a little bit more harder because you've got that loss to somehow try yeah, and try and recover. Aren't yeah, you? you're not moving um, forward at that exactly. point. And, and, you know, as you say, the, the emotional aspect of that is, you, you know, you, you've just got to work harder. And that, that's the thing. You get up the next day and crack on. And, and especially when you've got a team of people that, that you're supporting, um, it's about pulling all of that together and, and just dealing with it, dusting yourself off and cracking on. And, and that's difficult sometimes. And I suppose that what's even more galling is that... Um, a business will go bankrupt one day and you'll look and see that he's restarted again the following day because you're, you can do that. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? That that element of of protection that you have uh, in, in a limited company, I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword because if it wasn't there, I think it would, it would potentially hamper... Uh, entrepreneurs, you know, entrepreneurs that, that that do, you know, take those risks in the first place. A lot of that wouldn't happen if these elements of protection weren't there. So, and it, and it is a difficult one. Um, and you know, when people do very well from from business, and then for whatever reason it, it goes bad, generally speaking, you know, that they, they will pop up again. And and you know, whether whether that uh, can be seen as a negative or a positive, I think there's both sides. If that you know, if that business individual you know creates another entity and and, and employs position people into new positions then then great but that's not always the case well that's a hundred thousand pounds of outstanding ewm debt doesn't include a hundred and twenty thousand pounds owed to carlisle city council so guess we'll be making up the shortfall council taxpayers
Ah, there you go, you can't beat a bit of ABBA to raise the spirit. Except this isn't ABBA, it's top ABBA tribute band Swede Dreams. And the reason you're hearing them on the Cumbria Business Podcast is because one thing I didn't tell you about my guests today is that one of them used to be a singer in the band. So put your hands up, who was it? (laughs) Oh, Pete, you've got the hair for it. Come on. (laughs) Yes, it's Lisa. Lisa was in the band. Now I'm taking it, you're a brunette, so you must have been... I was Frida. Frida, right. Tell us a bit about um, Sweet Dreams. Oh, what a fantastic job that was. I was part of Sweet Dreams and uh, thank ABBA for the music, which was an international touring show um, for 12 years. Um, seems like a lifetime ago now. I've had my son and, and obviously ICANN's come on since then, but um, what a world. Did you, world. were you actually singing? Yeah. Because I know that a lot of them played the backing tapes, but you were actually up front. Oh no, yeah, we were 100% live, yeah. Live musicians as well in some of the shows and sometimes it was backing track for the, mu- for the music. But um, yeah, played Frida um, alongside a fab cast, um, obviously playing Benny, Bjorn and Yetta. Uh, we had a drummer with us most of the time as well. And we toured the country. Um, we went to Russia as well. Um, that was amazing. We spent Christmas in Russia in the snow on a boat. Amazing. Um, well, I mean, talking about, you know, the cutthroat world of business, there's nothing like the rivalry between ABBA tribute bands, is there? I don't even know how much I can say. <laughs> but you have one hair out of place on your promo shoot. And, uh Yeah. Yeah, you're but in trouble I, I with suppose the as well. I mean, the, the, the rewards are quite something. I know uh, Bjorn again. They're the sort of the, the the most famous one. They they must earn an absolute fortune going around the world pretending to be other. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that much about Bjorn again, but um, you can certainly earn a living. Um, you said did. that through gritted teeth, didn't you? <laughs> Is, is there ever a convention somewhere where where all, all all the other tribute bands get together and have a can you an imagine ABBA off? Can you imagine how fun that if would be? Isn't, I think you should start that. That's, <laughs> that sounds great. I mean, on a serious note, though, I mean, the, the pandemic has, has had a disastrous effect on the live entertainment industry. So I don't know. Do you keep in touch with, with your Sweet Dreams uh, ex-band mates? How are they coping with things? I do. Yeah, we're really good friends um, and it's dreadful for them. All of their shows have been pulled out from under their feet. And you're talking about people who have built up a career doing that. When I was part of the ABBA Tribute Band, we were out three, four, five nights a week. So you can't really have another job if you do that. You know, you are full-time entertainer. And uh, I think the government need to remember as well that entertainers are worth it they are it is a career you can earn decent money from it it's not something that's just a joke um but yeah it's hit them really hard people have had to go and find other jobs um in not the career that they want to do and sometimes not even skilled to do those correct jobs um peter have you ever been in a tribute band uh not a tribute band i was in a band at school once and um we we did a we did a cover of um uh, orchestral maneuvers in the dark Enola Gay. I don't know if you're familiar with that tune. Oh yeah. And but sadly came second to two girls doing a dance routine to It's Raining Men, and it's always been a big disappointment in my life. <laughs> that showbiz having, having coming second in a, in, a, in a contest like that. Well, Lisa, if you ever fancy getting the band together and you're looking for a new Benny and Bjorn, no problem. <laughs> I'm, I'm there. Sure, sure Peter, and I, Peter and I have got what it takes. 
And on that gruesome note, that's it for this edition of the Cumbria Business Podcast. My thanks to Pete Crouch and Lisa Dykes for taking part, uh, to Liquid Studios for allowing us the use of their COVID-secure facilities, and to you for taking the time to listen. If you like what you've heard, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to get in touch or you want to be on the show, we're on Twitter at CumbriaBizPod, of course. Uh, the Cumbria Business Podcast is a Paperfoot production. I've been Nick Brownlee. See you next time. Paperfoot.